John Katsimatidis and his family welcome you to a special Christmas Day broadcast. And now, here he is, John Katsimatidis. Sunday morning. Merry Christmas. And we have a great show for you today. And it's a good show. It's a brand new show. We have uh, Gordon Chang to give us an update on China. Ambassador Gilmore to give us an update on Ukraine. Uh, Born Lomberg. Is the climate change real or not real? Mario Economo on Europe. John Solomon on the omnibus bill. And Dr. Peter Michalos, how are we going to live longer? Senator Mike Lee. And to give us a blessing this morning, we have the Archbishop of America from the Greek Orthodox Church, Archbishop Peter Fotos. My beloved sisters and brothers in Christ, as you settle into your homes and prepare to enjoy this holy feast of Christmas with family and friends, I ask that all of you take a moment to remember those whose lives have been shattered by violence and gore. The prophet Isaiah promises, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. How we need the Prince of Peace more than ever in our world, especially for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, who have endured for nearly all of 22 a brutal invasion by Russia. Tens of thousands have lost their lives on both sides, and just as there is no justifiable reason for this war, there is no end in sight. Therefore, as we welcome the holy infant of Bethlehem, beholding in his humility and his poverty the essence of true power and glory, may we remember those whose lives are deprived of the blessing of peace. May the newborn Lord of glory grant peace to his world and bring speedy justice, reconciliation, and hope to the peoples of Ukraine and Russia. A very Merry Christmas to you and yours, and a happy and healthy 2023. Christos Yanate Doxasate. Christ is born. Glorify him. Thank you. With us today is Senator Mike Lee. Uh, we're wishing him a very Merry Christmas, uh, Senator, and, and uh, from Middle America. And uh, yesterday I've seen you on television uh, the other day, and you were very angry about what happened in, in Washington with the omnibus bill. What the heck happened on, uh, on that uh, Thursday? One of the best descriptions I've seen of this um, was written up by Kimberly Strassel, the Wall Street Journal. Here, here's how she described it. She said that, you know, 18 Senate Republicans voted uh, Thursday for the ugliest spending bill on record. And as Republicans scratched their heads over their disappointing midterm, they ought to consider that voters don't see much of a difference with Democrats. She also described in pretty vivid detail, that's why I recommend everybody read her piece in the Wall Street Journal today, the awful mechanism by which this thing was written. A small handful, like four or five people in Congress got together, came up with some top-line numbers, and then went to work negotiating a bill, a bill that was 4,555 pages long. They released it to us only about 36 hours before we voted on it. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've never met a person who can digest uh, over 4,000 pages of spending bill text in that period of time. Now, that is not by accident. That is not, that is not something that is just a, uh, you know, an unfortunate um, casualty uh, of emergent circumstances. This is by design. They do it this way all the time. They just took it way too far this time, and they did it at a particularly inopportune moment, a moment when it was so blatant what they were doing. I mean, it, think about this. There, the, the American people just voted a few weeks ago, and they elected a Republican House of Representatives. That Republican House could have and should have had the chance to pass a spending bill using Republican priorities instead of advancing the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer agenda. We opted to advance the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer and I say we, I didn't vote for it, but a bunch of my Republican colleagues didn't. Think about this, John. They did it in a way that united all 50 Democrats in the Senate, every one of them. Senator Schumer whispered in the ear of uh, Manchin from West Virginia and, and Cinema from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, Arizona. What did he give them? What you're referring to there is the fact that I, I had a couple of amendments. One of my amendments that we voted on yesterday was an amendment that would at least maintain the last vestige of any control that we have over our southern border. It's in chaos, but the only thing standing between us and utter pandemonium on our southern border is this authority known as Title 42. Title 42 is expiring, and uh, this would have extended it at least until the end of the fiscal year. We had the votes to get it. We, For eight glorious minutes, we had won that vote. Uh, when the 10 minutes expired on that vote, they should have called it. We would have won. But instead, Chuck Schumer paused the clock, pulled out Manchin and Cinema. I don't know what he said to them, but he got them both to flip their votes against it. And so we narrowly lost it. This is yet another example of how badly those Republicans who voted for this thing botched it. They, they, they killed our last chance to save the border. They gave a lot of money, I understand, in the bill, a lot of money to, to protect the borders of some foreign countries, but none to protect the United States border. Exactly. And, and the new money that they gave to the Department of Homeland Security, they said couldn't be used to bolster our border security. But we sent hundreds of millions of dollars to Egypt, to Jordan, and a small handful of other countries in North Africa and the Middle East so that they could bolster their border security. That's messed up. That's really messed up. Something's terribly wrong with uh, the direction taken by Senate Republican leadership here, and there will have to be consequences. Uh, all I can say is, wow, uh, you know, the one thing I noticed, the Democrats have absolute loyalty from 99% of their people, and the GOP, I guess, doesn't have the loyalty between their people, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it starts at the top. Our leadership turned on Republican voters, turned on the Republican base, turned on most Republican senators. It's happened before, but this is one too many times. For me, this is a final straw. And things are going to have to be very, very different when we come back next year. Tell us uh, this Christmas Day, we only have 10 days uh, till uh, the new year. What is your vision for the new year? What do you want to tell all Americans? Although the midterm elections didn't go as we had hoped, uh, in part, I think, because of years of a handful of Republicans doing this, 
but re- regardless, um, although they didn't go as exactly as we had hoped, we do have a Republican majority in the next Congress. With the new Republican majority, we're going to have some new opportunities um, to rein in spending. Uh, we're going to have some new opportunities to um, achieve a degree of government oversight and accountability that we might not otherwise have had. And uh, I, as always, will continue to push for what I think are the, the twin structural protections of the Constitution, or what I call the vertical protection of federalism and the horizontal protection of separation of powers, meaning the biggest problem with our government, John, is that over the last eight decades, we've seen an accumulation of power in the hands of the few. We've seen power taken away from the American people in two steps. First, uh, we, we've transferred it from the people where it's supposed to be exercised mostly at the state and local level, and we moved it to Washington. Then within Washington, we transferred it to, from the people's elected lawmakers and Congress to unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. We need to shift federal power, lawmaking power, back to Congress where it belongs, rather than outsourcing it to unelected bureaucrats. And we need to shift a lot of the federal power back to the states and localities where it is, it's, it's less difficult to rein in. Agreed. Senator Mike Lee, Merry Christmas uh, and a Happy New Year, and let's pray for our country, and I know you're praying for our country, and um, we will, let's catch up in the new year. Will do. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. Take care. With us today is Gordon G. Chang, and uh, he's our in-house expert and, uh, and genius on what's going on in China, and we understand China has serious problems with with the infections. Uh, Gordon Chang, Merry Christmas. Uh, Tell us what's going on. Merry Christmas, John. Well, COVID is ripping through the country, and it's not just the big cities like Beijing. It's also in rural areas. Um, We don't know exactly the the dimension of the problem, but um, um, there are reports that the Chinese government believes that there were 37 million new infections on Tuesday. And people are generally thinking that there's about 5,000 deaths a day in China. This is the result of the change in policy where China went from zero COVID, the draconian policy, to basically um, nothing at all. And what we have right now is a capitulation of the Chinese government to the disease. And the disease is just going rampaging through the Chinese population. And I saw that article and said 37 million in one day. Which is so? How many Chinese uh, do you think uh, in the last uh, six months uh, have been infected? Or three months? That's a question which I don't have an answer to, John. Um, but we're talking perhaps about 250 million people is what people have been saying for the month of uh, December. We just don't know because the Chinese government is no longer testing. It's no longer requiring people to report self-tests. And they are just completely ignoring the asymptomatic cases. So there is no accurate account, and no one will ever have an accurate account. People in general, though, to put this in perspective, are thinking that this winter there will be 800 million infections. That's on the low side. Some people are saying 1.0 to 1.1 billion people. Um, the numbers are just staggering. And um, when we start thinking about the death toll, it'll just be beyond belief. That is beyond belief. Since we have a a new term for uh, the uh, president of China, Chang, uh, he, 
What's, what else has been going on in China? Very little has been going on in China because disease has just uh, preoccupied people. Because there's no longer mandated lockdowns, uh, people are locking themselves down. Um, and uh, we know that the crematoria are um, totally backlogged right now. Bodies are lying in hospital um, corridors. It is really just something that has stricken society. This, of course, is starting to affect uh, China's uh, position in global supply chains, and factories are not operating at full capacity by any means. Things have gotten so bad that factory owners are now requiring employees with COVID to actually show up to keep uh, the machines running. So right now, China is just crippled, and it is it's not only the disease itself, but it's also the fear, because for basically three years, the, the regime has tried to instill fear of COVID. Um, and so people right now have a view of COVID, which is, it's a fear of the disease, which is worse than it actually is. It's bad, of course, um, but uh, the propaganda has made the situation far worse than it need be. That said, there was another report the other day that the, the, the Chinese are upping their uh, flights and uh, to uh, uh, Taiwan. Have you heard that at all? Well, there have been uh, incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Um, there are also reports that uh, China has uh, reclaimed some features in the Spratlys, which is the archipelago in the southern portion of the South China Sea. These were unoccupied, so it shows more aggressiveness. And, and John, this, this highlights the fact that as China has been stricken this month, it has been acting much more aggressively externally. We saw the incursion in Arunachal Pradesh in India. There's more pressure on the Philippines. Um, this report about reclamation activities. Um, we've got to be really concerned that Xi Jinping is going to try to solve his domestic problems um, by external um, adventures abroad. So this is this is a time where we really need to contain China. Gordon Chang uh, and your Twitter handle, if anybody wants to know instantaneously what's going on, follow Gordon Chang on his Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang uh, on the Twitter. Now, tell us, has your Twitter account been working better since Elon is uh, running it? In fact, it has been. Um, it, last summer, I, I noticed that there were really strange things happening. This was um, and I, now we know that uh, Twitter employees then allowed Ministry of State security agents from China into their shop uh, and then to affect their algorithms. And I noticed uh, a number of funny things happening uh, on Twitter with regard to me. Those have ended, um, and they ended with uh, Elon Musk taking over. So I have to assume that Chinese um, security agents were messing with uh, the operation of Twitter. Absolutely. I think you're right. Gordon Chang, have a, a Merry Christmas and have a great weekend and enjoy your family. Yes. Uh, you Looking for a little common sense? You've found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Ambassador Gilmore. Ambassador Gilmore, describe us uh, uh, what countries you covered under the, your ambassadorship. Well, I was the ambassador to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, OSCE, which is headquartered in Vienna. It's an international organization of 57 countries. It does a lot of international relations with respect to national security. But the U.S. and Canada are also members, as well as some Asian countries, 
Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, uh, Scandinavian countries, Western Europe, all in that organization. So it was a good opportunity for diplomacy. You have some insight of what was going on uh, with, uh, uh, with with Ukraine. I mean, uh, he has been uh, to, to and met with Congress last week. And uh, a lot of people are confused because there's a lot of spins from the from Putin and the Russian government. And a lot of people are convinced there's some spins from the Ukraine government. Whom do you, how do you say it? Whom do you trust? Well, I trust the Ukraine government. And the reason is because they did not invade Russia. Russia invaded them. And Putin has made it very clear in everything that he's done and all of his writings that his goal is the destruction of Ukraine because it's the first step in his reassembly of the old Russian and Soviet empire. And that's not in the American national interest. If he does that through atrocity and aggression and war crimes, he's basically thrown out all the rules of European conduct and behavior worldwide, really. And he's created a whole new world uh, and intimidates all of Europe. And that is that is ex, an existential danger to the United States of America, which is why I think uh, that we have to support the Ukrainians in this war and that Russia must be pushed back. Because of, of the war between Ukraine and Russia, it looks like Russia um, has been put into a difficult situation. Yeah, their, their army is not very good. Uh, and they overestimated what they could do and they underestimated the Ukrainians. You see, the, the Russians, are their soldiers don't know what they're doing. Uh, this is all conquest in the mind of Vladimir Putin and his government, whereas the Ukrainians know that they're fighting for their very lives. Uh, their soldiers know exactly what they're fighting for. They're fighting for their independence, their sovereignty, and their existence because the Russians intend to destroy Ukraine and take all these people in Ukraine's government and kill them all. Uh, and this is a, a long-term, big-time plan, uh, and that's uh, not in the interest of the United States. I guess my message to your listeners is is this. It's really easy to get distracted here in the United States by the border issues, by the spending in the government, by all the confusion that we see at home. But to ignore the international challenges and dangers is very short-sighted for the long run. The U.S. has got to be a leader in the world, and that's the way I conducted myself as ambassador to the OSCE in Vienna. What do you think, uh, how long before you think there's going to be a resolution? Uh, we don't know. That is up to the Russians, isn't it? Or up to the Ukrainians if they can drive them out. Uh, this is a, a conflict that, frankly, everybody thought, the Americans thought, everybody thought that it would be over with in two days, that the Russians would win. And the Ukrainians basically said, wait just a minute, we'll see about that. And they decided to fight for their uh, their lives and independence how long is it going to take? We don't know how long it's going to take. As long as the Russians continue to be aggressors, then that's a new issue on the world stage, and we don't know how long it will take. But I know this. The Russians are losing tens of thousands. In fact, by one estimate, 100,000 soldiers in Ukraine. Their soldiers are ill-equipped, not trained at all, poorly led, not equipped with any modern weapons, and they're being slaughtered on the battlefield. How long can that go on? Well, you know, the Russians uh, are an authoritarian dictatorship. It can, it can go on for a while. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you've got to give in to them. And that's the key uh, for the Ukrainians. And I think it's the key for the Western powers as led by the United States. Uh, I was with Secretary Kissinger um, about a month ago, six weeks ago, and he says you cannot reward aggression and allow Putin to keep any of that land. Would you say, would you agree with that? I do agree with that. 
if uh, Putin is able through aggression and atrocity to gain something, then that's the new rule of order. Uh, it's got to be shown that you cannot gain uh, territory or people or land or assets by this kind of atrocity. If you do that, then you invite more atrocity up the road. And you know, again, Amer- Americans tend to get distracted by what's going on here at home, and they're, they're, they don't focus on the long-term existential danger to the United States that the Russians uh, are creating. And if they prevail, John, that means that the Chinese are going to be watching that very closely and will be uh, encouraged to do an invasion of Taiwan. Now, where are we? If that happens, we're, we're, uh, we're seeing an aggression in Europe that threatens all of Europe. And then you see a battle in the Pacific. And the next thing you know, we really are in a world war. And that's something I think could be averted right now if we uh, support the Ukrainians. But I think it's our last chance to avert a true world war. Well, Ambassador Gilmore, Merry Christmas. And uh, I understand, uh, I think you're correct, and uh, you cannot reward aggression. And um, the Ukrainian people are suffering, and uh, hopefully they win their, uh, their war and, and maintain their country. The key is America today. There is a, a big move afoot uh, by the wrong people in our political system and also by the Russians to try to undermine America's resolution and resolve in this. And if they do that, then, of course, the Ukrainians are not going to be able to stand up. So we have to pay attention as Americans to this and be resolute. And if we do that, then I think this will come out right in the long run. Have a great holiday weekend, uh, Ambassador. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak up for our country. Merry Christmas to you, John, and to all your listeners in New York and beyond. Thank you. Merry You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Today's Christmas. With us today is Dr. Bjorn Lumberg, and uh, he has written uh, many books, but one of them is uh, False Alarm. How Climate Change Has Panicked and Cost uh, the United States Trillions of Dollars, uh, Hurts the Poor, and uh, Fails to Fix the Planet. Uh, good morning, uh, Dr. Bijon. How are you, uh, uh, Lomberg? Uh, how are you this morning? Good morning, John. I'm fine. Uh, uh, I'm in Sweden, so it's a little cold, but it's good. Well, it's cold in New York, too. I can imagine. And it, it underscores... I think one of the points uh, that we really should be thinking about when we talk about climate change, a lot of people will tell you every summer, oh, my goodness, you know, we'll see more heat waves. And that's absolutely true. And heat waves do call, kill people. They're really dangerous. You, you should be careful. You should drink a lot of water and, and make sure you have air conditioning. But we also need to recognize that cold over the entire planet kills much, much more, is much more dangerous. So the Lancet estimate that about half a million people die from heat every year, but 4.5 million people die from cold each year. So yes, heat is dangerous, but cold is actually much, much more dangerous. There's a whole change where they're they're saying, oh, fossil fuels is the enemy. Uh, they're saying that uh, uh, now, all of a sudden, when Europeans are getting cold, and you're part of the Europeans, 
uh, the Germans, who are supposed to be very smart people, and the, and the French, <laughs> they're saying, all of a sudden they're saying, well, nuclear energy is now uh, good energy. Uh, hmm. Is there a big con game going on in the world? I've always asked about that. Uh, in other words, who is leading the charge and trying? They're trying to convince uh, all the American automobile companies to make only electric cars. Electric cars is not everything that uh, it's uh, supposed to be. Give no. us your opinion of where we are. John, so that, that's a great, actually, several questions. So look, global warming is a real problem. But the way that it's being exaggerated actually makes us make really bad decisions. So I, I don't tend to believe that there's a con going going on as much as it's just we end up over-focusing, for instance, as we just talked about, on heat deaths and forget cold deaths. And of course, when you worried about heat deaths, you sort of say, oh, we need to do something about global warming. But of course, if you actually want to help people with heat deaths, you need to get people air conditioning. And if you are worried about cold deaths, you also need to get people affordable and reliable heating. There's a lot of things that fossil fuels give us. They basically power most of our civilization today. And without a, a reliable and fairly cheap substitute, which is not going to go anywhere. As, as you point out, the Germans have tried to switch to solar and wind. And you know some of it might actually make good sense. But you can't run a civilization on solar and wind unless you have backup power. And one of the ways you can have that is nuclear power. But then if you have nuclear power, you really don't need the wind and, and solar because you already have power 24-7. Uh, your last question about the electric car. Uh, look, electric cars are fun. If you've ever driven a, a Tesla, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful car, but it only fulfills a fairly small amount of what most people need. Uh, it's great to go down to the store and, and you, know, you convert your signal with it. It will cut a little bit of CO2, but it's also fantastically expensive. And remember, you can't actually drive really far. Then you need to stop and wait for a long time, which is why you know 90% of all Americans who have electric cars also have another real car that they drive much longer. So they'll drive you know, uh, the electric car about 5,000 miles, but they will drive their non-electric car in the order of 15,000 miles a year. So in reality, we're we're talking about a lot of small gestures here instead of thinking about how do we fix problems smartly. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, 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 electric cars, yes, but it has to be an option people want to buy yep. electric cars not a, a mandatory oh you only can drive an electric car i mean north america i've said this north america has a hundred two hundred years worth of oil i mm. mean and uh, well it's it, it's just frustrating and and you know who they punish the most uh beyond um uh they punish the poor and the middle class because they're the ones that have to pay more for gasoline, other ones have to pay more for everything else. What say oh, you? Of, of, of course, I'm always you know when you go to New York, uh, you, you uh, I or at least sometimes I meet these rich people and say, oh, you know, we should tax uh, uh, gasoline at I don't know twenty dollars a uh, a gallon or something. And that's easy to say if you live in New York and you can just take the subway. But for most poor people and people who actually have to commute to work, that's a that's a no go. I mean, what happens over 10, 20 years is like 0. 
zero zero one of uh, of the history of the earth, uh, and um, it's just the some of these people are are not convinced. What matters here is whether you're rich. If you're rich, you're actually able to deal with many of the problems that come from, for instance, hurricanes and many other natural disasters. That's called resilience. That's why when a hurricane hits Florida, yeah, it creates you know billions of damage. But a few people die and you're back on your feet in, in like a week or a month. Whereas if the same hurricane hits poor countries like the Philippines or Guatemala, it can wipe out their economy. It can kill thousands of people. And so, again, if you want to help people who are forced to live with hurricanes, the right way is not to try to cut carbon emissions so that you can slightly help them in 100 years. The way is to make sure that they get out of poverty right now, which of course has lots and lots of other benefits apart from climate benefits, but it also makes them more resilient, make them more able to both handle hurricanes, storms, floods, whatever. So again, if we want to help the world effectively, yes, climate change is a problem. Yes, it's something that we should tackle, but smartly, but we really need to understand that the best impacts are in, for instance, lifting people out of poverty. Bottom line is we shouldn't panic in any direction because anything that happens on Earth takes tens and tens of years, and we should do things smartly, but don't panic. Are, are, yes. are you saying the same thing? B bottom line, panic is never the right answer. It doesn't give good policy advice. Instead, we should be looking at how can we spend resources and do the most good? That's what my think tank, uh, what I really do for my day job, looks at. It's cost-benefit analysis. Look at where you can do the most good. We should do smart stuff for climate, but we should do a lot more other smart stuff for education and nutrition and all these other things, as we just talked about. Lift people out of poverty. That's one of the best ways to help. Dr. Bjorn Lumberg, thank you so much uh, for coming on, and I'd like to have further conversations. Everybody has to listen to this, and thank you so much. With us today is Mario Economo, uh, a banker from, uh, from Zurich, from New York, from uh, London, and, uh, and uh, Mario, you're in Europe uh, right now, and uh, uh, give us an update. What's going on in Europe this Christmas weekend? And uh, it's getting very cold in the United States, and how's it going by uh, Europe? Yeah, so good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Uh, Europe, uh, about 10 days ago, went through a, an Arctic blast, and it was very cold. Actually, now the weather seems to have moderated quite a bit, and I would say temperatures are running on average 10 degrees higher, uh, 10 degrees Celsius higher than they should be, which is actually a good thing because it means that the amount of energy needed to heat homes and hot water is going to be less, and therefore the reserves will be able to extend beyond what everybody thought was going to be an initial very cold six weeks and then uh, substantial price increases. So overall, the weather has uh, moderated quite a bit in Europe, and I know that in the U.S. you're going to be hit by uh, some extreme weather, but for now that is not the case in uh, Europe. How uh, is uh, everybody getting along? It, it, it seems like... Uh... Uh, the United States uh, on Friday uh, passed a new bill uh, giving, I think, $410 million in border uh, controls for Jordan and a few other countries. Have you heard about that yet? No, I have not heard about it. I know that there are a couple of things that are happening in Europe uh, this week which are interesting. 
Uh, one specifically has to do with the fact that the EU has frozen roughly 22 billion euros worth of uh, money that was supposed to go to Hungary. Uh, and this is being done because they want to see Hungary conform uh, more to the European rule of law and to European human rights. In my opinion, and this is strictly a personal opinion, that is a mistake that is only going to push Hungary closer into Russia's arms at a time when the European Union needs to have strong cohesion among, among all its members. Uh, this, in my opinion, was not a smart move. The EU also has introduced something else which is very interesting, and it has to do, if you recall, with the fact that many companies now are going to consider moving to either China or the U.S. The, U, the EU has introduced or will be introducing a, a, a law which is going to require that anything that's manufactured outside of the EU needs to conform to the standards of carbon emissions of the EU. If it does not, that means that when it is imported into the EU, there's going to be a substantial tax added to it. Of course, the U.S. is complaining and China is saying this is protectionism and the EU should not be allowed to do it. However, the EU is not going to hear of any of this. And anything that's produced outside of the European Union, if it doesn't meet strict carbon requirements, it's going to be taxed heavily when it's brought into the European Union. So that's just another tax to, to the poor people and the middle class, isn't it? Yes, it is. You're absolutely right. It's just another tax to people who can ill afford uh, to pay it. Those that are wealthy will, of course, pay it, and they'll continue to enjoy the benefits. But once again, we see that uh, any type of tax of this nature is essentially a tax on the poor and the middle class um, at the expense of, uh, 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 of poor people being able to enjoy the same standard of living that much richer people can. There was also one other thing that the uh, ministers in the EU finally agreed, and that is an 180 euro per megawatt hour price cap on natural gas. Uh, that means that if for three days in a row the uh, cost is above 180 uh, euros per megawatt hour, they will not import the natural gas. I don't know how this is going to work in practice. I don't think the Europeans themselves know. But once again, the benefits of a very mild winter so far are going to weigh heavily in favor of the EU coming up with these measures. If things start to get exceedingly cold in January and early February, expect then to be uh, a tremendous price pressure on the cost of energy and for many members in the EU to start outbidding each other so that they can ensure that they have enough energy for their own industry. Just to give you an idea, in Germany, for example, at the moment, the government spends on average 1.5 billion euros, that's B with a billion euros a day, subsidizing industry energy needs as well as household energy needs. These are unsustainable amounts in the long term. That's a big number, uh, Mario. What else should, should concern uh, of the American people? Well, I think there's uh, some interesting things happening. We know that uh, Mr. Zelensky visited the Congress and the White House. We know that the White House has agreed to extend more money and more uh, weapon systems to the Ukraine. Uh, President Putin, on his end, is actually speaking actively and saying he'd like to go to the uh, negotiation table and he'd like to see an end to the war. Unfortunately, the uh, European Union, in my opinion, once again foolishly, is not taking him up on this offer. I think there's only one leader in Europe at the moment who truly is exhibiting leadership qualities, and that's the president of France, Mr. Macron, who has repeatedly said we need to sit down and we need to speak 
to the Russians, and we need to reach an agreement to end this war. Obviously, I think we all know that this war is not going to end before the spring. I think it's going to be a brutally cold winter for people in the Ukraine, many of whom currently have no electricity, no hot water, no running water, no sewage. So the situation on the ground there is dire. Um, Throwing more weapons into the mix only extends the misery for everybody involved. I think that if uh, the Russians are interested in speaking, at the very least, the Europeans should, should sit down and listen to what they have to say. Now, there was a controversy in the United States the other day uh, when Tucker uh, Carlson and uh, Fox said that Zelensky or, or uh, Ukraine was anti-Christianity. Now, I called our friends at the Patriarchy and uh, our friends that represent the Patriarchy, the ones you know, and I said, what happened? And he says, There's a con- it's only argument amongst religion and it's the, uh, the, the Moscow uh, Orthodox Church versus the uh, Constantinople Orthodox Church. you uh, agree? So uh, I have heard these things. Frankly, I steer clear of any discussions involving religion of any nature. I think religion uh, plays a role in society, but not on a societal level, but rather on a personal level. I'm not sure it makes sense to involve religion or churches in any political discussions. I think that it's important for us to figure out how to end this war in the Ukraine, uh, and I think that churches on all sides need to be progressive and active in actually bringing people together rather than driving them apart. I agree with you, Mario Economo. Have a very Merry Christmas, and I hope the people in Europe do well because so goes Europe, so goes the United States, and uh, we're, we're, we're partners in, in the world, and God bless you, and God bless uh, America, God bless Europe. Yes, thank you, and again, once again, Merry Christmas. Handling legal matters is stressful, so let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25-plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's Frank BrunoLaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos. Today is Christmas Day, and we look forward to hearing Dr. Michalos on Christmas Day. What do you have to say? Well, it's Christmas Day and the holiday season and wrapping up Hanukkah and other celebrations. And we just want uh, everyone to be healthy, especially our uh, listening audience on WABC that we try to give tips. And now what's happened during COVID is that many people did not get their annual physicals. Many people did not go for their mammograms or their pap tests or their cervical uh, screenings for things like that. And, uh, you know, some of the things we're going to start from the basics, from out to in, what really is involved in the uh, annual physical. And uh, one of the most important things that many people did not do in the last three years, I was just talking to my friend, uh, Dr. Kenneth Mark, a dermatologist, and he said that there's a big backlog. A lot of people now are calling to get in for body checks because many times people can miss things like melanoma and other skin cancers, and melanoma can be potentially lethal especially in lighter-skinned, light-eyed persons. So it's so important to get your uh, 
uh, your skin checked for these uh, conditions. And, uh, and people go away for winter vacations to sunny places. It's good to wear a hat with a brim, wear protective eyeglasses, and wear sunscreen. When you go in for your physical, the first part of it is the history. And again, many people didn't get their annual physicals for a while. So as a New Year's resolution, we tell our audience, please do that. Why do the doctors check the height and weight? Because they want to look something called BMI, the body mass index, which is very important. And it makes you more susceptible to certain disease, the vital signs. Why do you want to check blood pressure? Because when your blood pressure goes up, that high pressure puts a strain on the heart. It causes tiny vessels to get narrower. And that's why I can't take the pressure anymore. And the heart vessels get narrower and brain vessels get narrower. And we now know it's a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease when you have high blood pressure. So that's one of the things that's done during the physical. They look at your medication list, not only to see what medicines you're on, but to see if there are any potential drug interactions. Many times people are prescribed medicines from different doctors and the drug interaction isn't picked up. Now with modern computers and pharmacy and artificial intelligence, sometimes those things can get flagged. The family health history is important. For example, if you had a parent who had a breast cancer and you're a woman, it's so important to get your mammogram. There's even more sophisticated genetic testing that can look for something called the BRCA gene, which is a risk factor for uh, cancer, you know. And for men, we have to also look at the importance of the digital rectal exam to find uh, prostate cancer. And there's a blood test called the PSA test, which needs to be checked. And we all have friends, dear friends, who've passed away from prostate cancer. And many times, if you catch it early, there are many treatment options. And there are even going to be treatment options in the future, like uh, vaccines for prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer, breast cancer. And they're working on these things as we speak. And the other thing is the stethoscope is a very important part of your physical. The doctor listens to your lung. For example, if you have a bad cold or cough and you hear what's called decreased breath sounds in one area, you can have a pneumonia. And then they'll order an x-ray as part of your physical. They listen to your heart because many times you can hear a murmur. A murmur is a swishing sound when the valve that's supposed to propel blood forward is sort of back leaking. And that is a sign of valvular heart disease. Other things that they do is sometimes they put a stethoscope to your neck. Why? Because sometimes you can get plaque in your carotid arteries that feed your brain. And when that gets clogged up, then you get an ultrasound and you can check and clean up a blocked artery. And there are procedures and even stents now to avoid a big operation for these types of um, procedures. So there's so many new things that they can do right now. We've also talked about the importance of the blood work. There's a lot of new blood work now. There's genetic testing blood work that you can see your risk factors so you know things to watch out for. For example, 3 million people a year, uh, 3 million people have something called factor V Leiden on their blood tests, which tells you if you have a predisposition for clots or pulmonary embolisms. There are blood tests all types of inflammatory markers that can be done right now. And, and, and uh, you've got to make least, sure your doctor is sophisticated enough, I guess, to know about all these tests. Uh, yeah, that's true. One of the problems that's happening in the healthcare system is that people have to see many patients a day. So many times that's why you listen to WABC and take some notes and uh, write these things down and be your own advocate. You can go to WABCradio.com and get it on the podcast, and you could, you, then you could write it down. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have people who come up to me and so they, they re-listen to the podcast and take little notes, and then they go and they get 
and they get tested and they go, you know, I, we had one person uh, that we both know that was listening and went and got their mercury tested and theirs was toxic levels like 40 and they were having rapid heart rate and they were having issues with tingling in their face and just by listening to WABC they were able to take care of it and now they feel fine. So we want people to know that you need to uh, sometimes advocate on your own behalf. Don't be embarrassed to walk in with a list of questions to your doctor because sometimes they are very rushed, especially the ones that are employees of these large healthcare systems and they have to push people through. So you want to make sure that you write down your notes and as we just talked about, write down your list of medication and don't assume they have them. Bring your bottles of any medicine you see so they can physically see them and bring any lists and write down your family history yes. and you know, take good notes. Dr. Peter Mihalos, Merry Christmas and have a great long weekend and uh, we'll catch up with you again and thank you for uh, saving so many lives by people just listening to Common Sense. Thank you for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. Can you talk more about some of the frivolous spending in that $1.7 trillion budget bill? I know there's no money going for the border, but there is going for border security in the Middle East, though. That's right. Five countries are going to be able to build better border walls and better border security with using American tax dollars. But Americans won't be able to use those tax dollars because there are provisions in there that prevent that from happening. That's a pretty extraordinary um, uh, cons- uh, problem that we're, a lot of people are talking about. And the Border Patrol particularly very angry to see that happen. We had the um, union president last night on our television show, and he really laced into Congress for abandoning his men and women. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of things. There. I, uh, the Rand Paul report is always one of my favorites because he finds things that no one else has thought of. For instance, there was some COVID-19 relief money that went to, I'm not making this up, a study, a $118,000 study, to study a single character in a Marvel movie. Why would the government spend money on a a Marvel movie villain named Thanos? No one knows, but those are the sort of questions. In the current bill, the one that just passed in the last few days, uh, all sorts of um, grants to LGBTQ uh, organizations all across the country, libraries, pet projects, bridges, uh, earmarks are back after a decade of having been banned. Uh, The 2011 Congress banned them. Uh, they were back this year with a vengeance, and there are, I think, $16 billion in special pet projects for lawmakers. But what's most interesting, this year, more than any other year, we always look through these every year, uh, a lot of uh, money going to woke causes, LGBTQ uh, causes, uh, critical race theory training things, um, a lot of things that uh, Republicans who voted for this may regret uh, when their competitors in the primary start pointing out what they just voted for. Clearly, no one read the 4,000 pages, or they might not. They might have had some objections, but uh, a lot of amazing things in the bill. If you were taking a scoreboard, uh, John Solomon, uh, how much would you say uh, we did the right thing on, on, on the money we did the right thing on versus the money that we just built through bridges to nowhere? Yeah, it's a great question. It's going to take us days. This bill is so full. And then also the bill refers to other legislation. So it's like following the money as a process. I, I think a lot of people think there's two to $300 billion of fluff in this bill. Um, and that's a lot of money. It would be about a third of the bill 
if uh, a quarter to a third of the bill. Uh, we're still adding up things, uh, but if you take a look at what Rand Paul found last year in a similar spending of about $1.5 trillion, he found $475 billion that I think most people would agree on. For instance, why is the Defense Department spending nearly $200,000 on espresso machines from Starbucks? That seems kind of out of the government's uh, bailiwick. So, are they, refunding, uh, the, uh, are they refunding a political contribution or what? <laughs> That's it. Exactly it. And, and so there's a lot of concern. His ratio would come to about a third of all the discretionary spending that he reviewed turns out to have things like that. I, most of the people I've talked to, the budget watchdogs that have an initial run on this, they're thinking two to three hundred billion for sure. When we're done, when we follow all the rifle shots, all the different things that occurred, we'll come back and give you a number. But it's going to take a couple of weeks before we get a full markup on it. But it, it's a large amount of money at a time when Americans are, are struggling to make ends meet. And just think about this. We, ha- we collected $5 trillion, $5 trillion in tax revenues, and we're still going to run a trillion-dollar deficit this year. Uh, that is a remarkable number to think about. It's an all-time revenue number for us, and we still can't live within $5 trillion a year. Well, John, John Solomon, have a very Merry Christmas, a very great, uh, good holiday with your family, and, uh, and uh, let's all pray that the new year will be good for our country. I, I pray the same. I wish you guys a very Merry Christmas, and I want to thank you for all the times I get to come on your show. It's such an honor. I love all that you're doing out there. Thanks. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see.